anchor shirt from Hebrews. And uh, we have a men's fellowship and a women's fellowship going through a devotional book that's been very encouraging and very helpful. And Wednesday nights are going through a video. I, I thank God for everything that's going on here. But as far as strict going to scripture and breaking down, that's a pretty nice list. It's not just a bunch of different books, but it's, it's some New Testament epistles, some Old Testament law, some Old Testament minor prophets. Like, I'm not bragging about that, but I hope that makes you happy. I hope you know that if you call this church your home, we really do try to get into God's word, to know it better, to understand it better, to let it speak to our hearts. How can something speak to your heart if you never expose yourself to it? Agreed? All right, so amen for that. And today I'm going to add to that. And anyone who is in prayer cannot answer because the pastor gave you the answer, so that's not fair. He cheated. He looked at my slides. But here we go. This morning, we're going to study an Old Testament book. It is a minor prophet. It's the shortest book in the Old, Old Testament, which is why I can do it in one morning. And it's actually one of only two books that isn't written to Israel. It's actually written to a, a foreign nation. Anybody happen to know what that book is? I'll give you a hint. It rhymes with Mobadiah. <laughs> Obadiah! Did you even know the Bible had a book named Obadiah? I hope so. And do you know anything about it? The chances are somewhat slim. And we're not even going to say that's your fault. I mean, the Bible's a big book. There's a lot of choices in there. And Obadiah is like 21 verses long. If you want to turn there, turn there. But you better hope two pages don't stick together or you'll totally miss it. But this morning, we are going to study the book of Obadiah. We're going to see what God has to say in this book that most of us probably have either never been exposed to or never really studied. And after today, thank God, that will not be the case. Okay? So turn to the book of Obadiah. Stand in honor of reading God's word. It will show up on the screen if you can't find it or just would rather read it off the screen. But here we go. Obadiah, can't even say chapter 1. It's the only chapter, but verse 1, the vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, and there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you would have been destroyed. Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Teman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother and the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. 
Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow, and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau, and those of the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. And the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad shall possess the cities of the Negev. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. You may be seated. You have officially read the entire book of Obadiah. Well done. Um, but we're not really in the claim to fame business here. Having read it really doesn't serve much purpose if we don't allow it to speak to our heart. And of course, we're not going to do an in-depth study here. But in general, we need to know that the book of Obadiah was written by a man named Obadiah. And we don't really know anything about him. Uh, there are 12 Obadiahs mentioned in the Old Testament. We're not even sure if he's one of them. So maybe there's 13. We don't know. But the point is the name means servant of the Lord. So that's very fitting, right? A prophet is a servant of the Lord. But very uniquely, as I mentioned, almost all the prophets were called to prophesy to Israel. And maybe Obadiah was with the rest of his life, I don't know. But in this moment, it's very clear that Obadiah was called to preach to a nation called Edom. Now, if you don't know who Edom is, some of you might, but Edom has quite the history with Israel. Uh, when Israel first escaped from, well, not escaped, or left Egypt, God delivered them from Egypt, and they were heading to the Promised Land, Israel wanted to pass through the mountains of Edom. We're going to talk about that. Edom is very mountainous. And the Edomites said no. They said, no, go the long way. We're not letting you through. So things definitely were not good between them. The Bible tells us that when King Saul was king, they were constantly warring with Edom. That when David and Solomon were king, Israel was actually ruling over Edom. But Edom was constantly rebelling, constantly trying to rally up Israel's other enemies to try to overthrow Israel. Uh, in Second Chronicles, I think it's 20, there's a story where King Jehoshaphat pretty much prays to God, Lord, I don't know what we're going to do. Edom has Moab, has Syria, like, they're coming. We don't know what to do. And God says, don't worry about it, I got it. And as only God can do, somehow he convinced those foreign nations that were coming after Israel to turn on each other. And by the time they made it to Israel, they killed each other. <laughs> like Israel didn't even have to lift a sword. They were delivered. But that's Edom. Israel and Edom have a huge history, but it goes way farther back than what I just said. Some of you know that. Some of you might have noticed it in the reading. The Edomites were actually related to the Israelites. They were related because the Edomites were the descendants of a man named Esau, who was the twin brother of a man named 
Jacob, whose God, God actually changed Jacob's name to Israel. That's why they were called the Israelites. So you've got Jacob here, the Israelites. You've got e, uh, Esau here, the Edomites. They were distant cousins. But they were related. The Edomites, I mean, Esau called Abraham his grandfather just as much as Jacob did. He called Isaac his father just as much as Jacob did. Yes, Jacob's Israelites were the children of God, but Edom was right there. I have to think that they, they saw how God blessed them. I have to think that if they wanted, they could have partaken. I have to think things could have been much different. They were so close to the children of God, and yet so far, according to Obadiah. And as I prepared the sermon, I couldn't help but think, did I just describe anyone in here? I hope not. I hope that absolutely everyone in here is already a child of God, is already a follower of Jesus, has already asked Jesus to forgive their sins, already has the Holy Spirit residing in them, already knows for a fact that they're going to spend eternity in heaven and are just spending time on earth trying to honor and serve him until that day comes. I hope. But I'm a statistics teacher. I know that in a room this big, the chances of 100% being God's children is not very high. I got to think that there might be some here who would not call themselves a child of God, who do not care about the things of God. And while I could meet someone out on the street who would also say that, you're not out on the street, you're here. And I got to wonder why. Is it because you're Christian, your parents are Christian and they forced you to come? I don't know. Is it because your spouse is a Christian and they begged you to come? I don't know. Is it because your neighbor's a Christian and he keeps bugging you so you finally came to shut him up? I, I don't know. All I know is you probably didn't walk in here randomly off the street. Oh, you mean this isn't a nightclub? No, this is a church. Like, I gotta think you came here for some reason. And yet, if you can be that close, maybe even physically related to someone, or at least intimately related with someone who knows God, it doesn't mean you know God. It doesn't mean that you're not just as far away from God as the Edomites are, and that breaks my heart. And I promise you, if someone did bring you here, it breaks their heart too. But you're the only one who can do something about that. So my question to all of you this morning, the title of my sermon, what I take from Obadiah, is are you an Edomite? And I highly doubt you've ever been asked that before. Highly doubt you will ever be asked that again. But oh my goodness, please for the next 40 minutes or so, take that as the most serious question you've ever been asked in your life. Are you an Edomite? I just read to you what Obadiah proclaimed against the Edomites, and I can tell you right now, it all came true. If you think it was false threats, it most certainly was not. And if as we go through this book, you're noticing more and more, you know something? Yeah, I kind of am an Edomite. Well, then what in the world makes you think that you're not, you're going to escape the same judgment that the Edomites were given? So that's my goal this morning. I know only the Holy Spirit can speak to your heart, and I know a lot of you already know the answer to that is no. Amen. But if you walk in here and either know for a fact you're an Edomite or you're not quite sure you are, man, I hope you realize you are not here by accident. You did not make a wrong turn and end up in that pew. God has you here to hear his word in a place where <laughs> some of us have never even turned before, but oh my goodness, is there a powerful message in there for all of us? And that's what I want to share with you now. All right, so let's pray. Give this time to God. Lord, I do thank you just for the honor of preaching your word. For the, oof, I mean, honor isn't even a big enough word to say that 
I know your spirit is in me. I know I'm not an Edomite. I know I am your child. I know that I only understand scripture because you help me understand it. I know that it's your truths coming out of my mouth. I know that you brought everyone here today. Or and you brought only your children to be here today, then that was your plan. Let's not make this a wasted sermon because we are studying your word. Lord, I also know that this is getting recorded. I also know that there's going to be people that I'm never going to meet that are going to hear this, not because I preached it, but because you wanted them to hear it. And I thank you for that. I thank you for the honor of simply being your vessel. Lord, of being able to share what you showed me, what you laid on my heart, and then leave it there. Lord, you take care of the rest. I thank you for that. I do pray for your children in this room, Lord, that they not think this isn't for them, that we realize that every time scripture's over, Lord, it speaks to your children, <coughs> even if that's not who it was directed to. So I just thank you. Lord, I know you're sovereign. I know you're in control. I thank you again for bringing the men back safely. But you had me not go so that I could be here right now. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if I can make a quick Jeff Foxworthy reference, for those of you who remember him, he would tell jokes and say, if blah, 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 you might be a redneck. Yeah. Well, this isn't a joke, but it really is what it feels like. There's three things where I'm going to say, if these are true, you might be an Edomite. And please know that I'm not kidding. I, I don't know what to tell you. I look at scripture and I think God makes it very clear what makes someone an Edomite, as well as the judgment that awaits anyone who is an Edomite. So I'm going to pick up in the first few verses, the vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, we have heard a report from the Lord and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. So right out the chute. God's just both guns blazing. I am not happy with you. There is judgment awaiting you. I am stirring up nations for the specific reason to come and attack you. What in the world? <laughs> and John, I know you said, you know, they didn't necessarily get along. Wow, that's harsh. Well, I don't know. Let's see why. All right, let's look at what the next couple of verses tell us about why, at least a partial reason, why God is so upset, why judgment is so necessary. Verse 3 says, The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, Who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. So right off the bat, the, the pride of your heart has deceived you. The issue, one of the issues for the Edomites is they were proud, and that's my first question to all of us here. Are you proud? Now it's very hard to leave it there because the normal, well, proud of what? Please, pride in and of itself is not a bad thing. Okay, when I looked up, uh, Google's the only dictionary I use nowadays. But here's what Google had to say about pride. You just type in definition of pride. Here's what comes out. Feeling deep pleasure or satisfaction as a result of one's own achievements, qualities, or possessions, or those of someone with whom one is closely associated. <coughs> There's nothing wrong with that. If I go out in the parking lot now and see one of those proud parents of an honor student in whatever school, I promise I'm not going to scrape it off your bumper. It's okay to be proud of your kids. It's okay to be proud if you get a promotion at work. It's okay to be proud of the pictures you post of your cute little dog. Like, it's, it's okay. But we all know pride can become an issue. Even Google admits pride can be an issue. I even said that I was proud of this church, yes? 
I'm proud to be called a Christian. But look at the second definition that Google has of proud. Having or showing a high or excessively high opinion of oneself or of one's importance. That's when pride becomes an issue. Pride becomes an issue when it starts giving you a false sense of security, a false sense of stature, a false sense of who you are and what you've done. That's when pride becomes an issue. Um, yeah, there were two things that the Edomites were proud of. Really, only two. They were kind of a small nation. They were constant, but because they lived in the mountains, I told you that they weren't necessarily milk and honey and fertile land and all of this. But man, were they hard to attack. Anybody who knows anything about military strategy, you always want the high ground because anybody who wanted to attack the Edomites had to climb up these mountains while the Edomites just waited up there to chuck boulders and shoot arrows down. It was like shooting, you know, fish in a barrel, whatever the phrase is. So they felt very secure in their mountains. They were proud of that, in the defense that they had, and the, the alliances that they formed. And they were very proud of their, I'll say architecture. I don't know if anyone here has ever heard of the rock city of Petra. Uh, if you ever watched Indiana Jones with Sean Connery at the end, that was, that was the rock city of Petra. I think if I did the picture right, it should pop up on the screen, something like that. They would just build structures within the mountain. It, it, it was beautiful. And to this day, people go to see it. it. It's beautiful and they were proud of it. And you're sitting there thinking, geez, I would do too. They carved that out of a mountain? Yeah. There's nothing wrong with being proud of that until it gives you an excessively high opinion of yourself. Until all of a sudden, the fact that nobody can attack you means you don't need God to protect you. You've got the mountains to protect you. And as soon as you've got beautiful, I don't need God. Look at what I did without his help. That's when pride starts to become an issue. That's when God starts to say, whoa, 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 whoa. You made that? I made the mountain. Right? And how many of us, if we truly look at our life, let's be honest. You don't really see a place for God in it. You don't see a need for God in it. Because, hey, my bank looks good. Hey, my family's safe. I got a roof over my head. And I'm sorry, but all of those things, you might not mean it. But if those things are your reason for not needing God in your life, you might be an Edomite. I don't know what to tell you. You also might be a fool, but I'll, you know, whatever. I'll keep. You're nuts. You know how quickly that can be taken, yes? But oh my goodness, God hates pride. He hates it because by definition, the wrong kind of pride. He hates it because it elevates us and puts him down here, almost to the point of, yeah, I'm not even sure there is a God. Right? God hates pride. And I know that because it, the Bible actually made a top seven list of things God hates and pride's on the list. Proverbs 6, 16 to 19 says, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers. Now that's kind of packed on the page. I wanted it all on the page. We're not studying that now. But I think some of those things we would, oh yeah, God must hate hands that shed innocent blood. Oh, a heart that devises wicked plans. Oh, God must hate that. Feet that make haste to run to evil. We get some of that. 
But the very first thing says haughty eyes. I actually like the King James better. It says a proud look. A proud look. Just the look. God hates it. You know why? Because he sees behind the look. Yeah. And he knows the heart that's behind it. And he knows that somebody who's walking around with a proud look thinks that they deserve the credit, not God. They say, well, I'm fine without God. I don't need God. Look how far I made it without God. It gives him none of the glory that he deserves. And I don't even think you mean it that way. I think most Edomites would say, well, I'm not trying to be nasty. I'm just saying. I mean, look. Look how far I got without God. No, you didn't. I'm sorry. God is the reason you've made it this far. His patience, his mercy. He could have struck you off the earth at any moment. And you're going to sit there and say, yeah, but I got this. You got your God. <laughs> Look at my life. I don't need it. I mean, can you at least for a second, from a human perspective, understand why it gets God so mad? Right? I mean, even humanly. I'm a math teacher. I work my butt off every year to first get kids to not hate math because they walk in my room expecting they're going to fail. Once they don't hate it, then I try to show them they can actually be good at it. Every once in a while, they end up liking it. Very rare. But oh my goodness, if by the end of the year, they're like, yeah, I did get good at math, but no thanks to you. It was my brain cells that did all of this. I'm sorry. Are you kidding me? And yet, isn't that exactly what God's saying when he says he hates pride? He's not being a jerk. He's not being a... It's just being real. He hates pride because it strips him of the glory he deserves. And if you've never thought of that before, then okay. But now you don't have that excuse. Now you do got to decide. Yeah, well, all right, I get it, but still. I still think it was all me. Okay. But just know that God not only hates it, he opposes it. And what I mean by oppose, James 4, 6 says that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Anybody who knows me knows that I hate broccoli. Now, to be honest, it's more so steamed broccoli. Regular broccoli, I just don't have it. When I was growing up, you could ask my mom, I had to leave the kitchen. When she was steaming that pot of broccoli, I would just get sick to my stomach, I would have to go. I hated it so much that I avoided it, that I ran from it, that I wanted nothing to... That's not what God means when he hates pride. When God says he hates pride, it doesn't mean he's up in heaven saying, oh, I just wish you would stop it. I can't even watch this. I'll come back when you're done. No. No, God doesn't run when we're being proud. God opposes the proud. That word opposes is the word anti-tacitai. I think I'm saying it right, but notice how I at least remember the anti part. We don't know what anti means, right? That word opposes means to range in battle against, to set oneself against. Remember, God's rallying up nations specifically to go after Edom. That's how upset he is. Look at what verses 5 through 9 say. Just, I know I'm going to read fast, but try to take it in. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you would have been destroyed? Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If great gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Timon. 
so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. God did not have to say any of that. He could have just said, I'm going to destroy you. All of that falls under the heading of destroying you. Oh, no. No. That wasn't good enough. God wanted them to know that they're going to... And also, can I just say, that sounds like past tense, like it already happened. It didn't. It didn't happen yet. But because God said it was going to happen, you might as well talk about it in the past tense. Because it's happening. And God's saying, you're going to wish that people came and robbed you. Because at least if they robbed you, they would have taken what they wanted and left the rest. I'm not leaving anything. I'm taking every possession. I'm taking every ally. I'm taking every wise man. I'm taking every mighty man. Oh, God, chill out. What in the world? What are you so mad about? Well, is he mad? Is he being a bully? Or is he simply stripping them of the things that they were so proud of? You're so proud to have your possessions? You think they're yours? You think I didn't get them to me? Fine, I'll take them away. You think that you're safe because you have your allies? You think you don't need me to protect you? Fine, I'll take those away. You think you've got your own understanding? You don't need to understand my things because you have your own wise men? Fine, I'll take them away. You think you've got your mighty men? Fine. Uh, that's all he's doing. All he's doing is the Edomites, oh yeah, but we have this, God knocks it down. We have this, God knocks it down. Do I want that to happen to anyone in here? Of course not. Oh my goodness, my heart would break if anyone here went through half of what the Edomites had to go through, but what do you want me to do? If you are going to live a life that says, God, this isn't about you, this is about me. You didn't get me that job. All right, well, if he takes that job away, then don't be upset. You didn't make me successful. You didn't do this. You, it was all me. Okay, then how else is he going to prove to you that it wasn't all you? I don't know. You tell me. What else do you want him to do to get the glory that he deserves, but you insist on giving these things glory instead? Then just don't be surprised when he takes those things away. I hope he doesn't. I hope you do the smart thing and stop being an Edomite. And that's between you and God. The Edomites decided that they were going to put their faith, their trust, everything in their possessions, their allies, their wisdom, and their strength. And God said, fine, I'm going to strip all that away from you. Because I'm the one that you should be putting your faith in. So again, I'm Italian, I talk fast, I get it. But I hope the Spirit's speaking to your heart. Is that you? Where do you put your faith? Where do you put your pride? Yes, I'm proud of my family. But I'm proud in a way that I thank God for the family he's given me. Yes, I'm proud of the job I have. But I'm proud in a way that gives God glory that he gave me this job. There's nothing wrong with being proud. But is that pride getting in the way of you giving your life to God? If so, not only you might be an Edomite, but you probably are. In fact, I hope you are. Because I hope I didn't just describe anyone who thinks they're a child of God. Okay, but that's number one. I mean, I'm sorry. That's only the first thing that God has against the Edomites. Their pride. Their pride that stopped them from giving God the glory he deserved. And now let's move on to verse 10. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother and the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. 
Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. So now God gets into what they're actually doing, right? Pride isn't something you do. Pride is an attitude you have that creates what you do. So when verse 10 says, beware, because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, remember, they weren't really brothers. They were distant cousins, but that's not how God saw it. God said, you guys should have been there for each other. If you come tonight, we're going to talk about the importance of family and, and how God wants family to, to interact, but you should have been there, and you weren't, and that's why shame's going to cover you, and you're going to be cut off forever. Verse 11 says that they stood aloof. We don't tend to use that word much, but some of you know. Aloof means complacent. It means you kind of sat back and watched. You knew that your brother, distant cousin, was in trouble, and you said, eh, whatever. All right, not my problem. <laughs> what do you want me to do? And yet, as the strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates, you were like one of them. Either literally, because some of the Edomites also did what the, or at least figuratively, right? You ever heard, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem? That's what God's thinking. You just sat back and watched while your brother was being persecuted. Uh, verses 12 and down say things like, do not gloat over the day of your brother's misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in their day. Do not boast in their distress. Do not enter their gate and during calamity. Do not gloat over their disaster during calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads. Do not hand over they did all those things. I know it sounds like don't do them, like it's a warning. It's just not a very good translation. You look at the Hebrew, and it's really, you should not have done. You should not have gloated. You should not have rejoiced at their calamity. You should not have entered their gates. You should not have looted their wealth. You should not have stood at the crossroads. Literally, as the Israelites were trying to escape, the Edomites got in the way so that the enemy could come catch them. That's what they did. They handed over the survivors. Oh, this one. You didn't catch this one. Oh, you missed one over here. There's somebody hiding in a rock over here. That's what the Edomites did. So I guess you could say, oh, yeah, I can see why God's so mad. Okay. But why did they do it? And were they jerks? Were they just nasty people? The Bible tells us, if you've ever heard of Nineveh, that the Ninevites were some pretty savage people. They would kill you for looking at them the wrong way. Is that who Edom was? Yeah. I don't know. But I think we all can somewhat relate to what Edom was probably thinking. Remember, Edom was the distant cousin of Israel. Israel was God's chosen people. Edom wasn't. Some of you know, we'll talk about it a little bit, that the leader of Israel, Jacob, was really kind of a jerk to the leader of Edom, Esau, he, he kind of was very deceiving. We'll talk about that later. I can almost guarantee you that Edom didn't do all of these things just because they were jerks. I can almost guarantee you that on some level, they felt like Israel deserved it. They felt like they were getting what they deserved. Look, I'm sorry, you know, it stinks that it's happening to you, but, you know, karma. I don't know. But on some level, because of their pride, Edom felt it was their job to be judge and jury. 
It was their job to say, well, you know something? Good, that's what they deserve. Well, you know something? If they were nicer to me, I would have been nicer to them. Well, you know something? I don't know, is this sounding the least bit familiar? Is that, do we ever have those moments in our life where we think it's our call to determine who, who should be helped and who shouldn't, who should be forgiven and who shouldn't? The question I'm going to ask after are you proud is, are you unmerciful? And I know that's not really a word we use very often, but I, I debated what word to use there, and I picked that because, again, thank you, Lord, for Google. Its definition of mercy was compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone who is who it is within one's power to punish or harm. Oh, I don't know why the word punish didn't show up. I don't know. But it should say punish or harm in there. But it's almost funny that a word's missing because you know what's actually missing there that most of us Christians would jump straight to? Come on, Christians, what do we call mercy? Not getting what you do deserve, yes? And that's because from God's perspective, you better believe we deserve it. But notice from a human perspective, it really has nothing to do with whether the person deserves it or not. It has to do with whether it's within your power to do it or not. Hopefully this analogy helps because I think God shows me things for a reason. But my son and I were discussing a few days ago because he was preparing for the young adult study. And we went to a verse in Numbers that talks about, uh, be sure your sins will find you out. You've all heard that before. Probably just didn't realize it was in Numbers. It's Numbers 32, 23. But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. It didn't pop up there, that's okay, did I not? All right, I'm sorry, apparently I missed that slide. That's my fault, but I will read it again. But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Be sure your sin will find you out, because you sinned against the Lord. Oh, man, I wonder what sin they committed. Is that like all sin? Well, yeah, I mean, at some point, probably all sin manifests itself, but... The sin that was occurring here is, as Israel was going into the Promised Land, a few tribes said, do we, do we have to go over the Jordan River? Because there's some really nice land over here that would be great for our, our animals, great for our crops, great for our families. And at first Moses was like, are you crazy? God said, go in, you go in. And God said, actually, no. If they want to stay, they can stay. I, I'm not going to punish them for that. But if those who go in are ever in trouble, ever under attack, ever in need, you better go in there and help them as if you were one of them. And if you don't, I'm really sorry because it would help if I could point to the verse, but if not, if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. What was the sin? It was simply the sin of not helping when you could. That's where that verse comes from. If you ever wondered, you probably never did, but be sure your sin will find you out has its roots in the sin of simply not helping somebody when you could. Not because they deserve it. Deserve is off the table. Just, could you help them? Uh, Matthew 5, 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Agreed? We've heard that before. It's a beatitude. It's a heart that God wants us to have towards others that, according to this verse, we would want them to have towards us. Right? Do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. Yes? So as we're so busy judging, I gotta think we've all been there before. You judge someone for something, oh my goodness, that was so horrible. And then next thing you know, you did it, but you want everybody to understand why you did it. No, no, you gotta understand. It was, no, no, please forgive me, I didn't. Like the tables turned so quick. 
But let's be honest, who do we tend to want to show mercy to? The merciful, right? James 2.13 says, Judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Yes? Let's not act like we are judge and jury and we decide who's worthy of mercy and who isn't. No. If it's in our ability to help someone, God wants us to help them. That's why he says, love your enemies. That's why he says, do good to those who persecute you. It's not about, yeah, but you don't understand what they did. You, they deserve it. Oh, if you knew, they deserve worse than they're good. That's not our call. That's pride speaking out, thinking that we know better. God says, look, you just show mercy when you can. Sometimes you can't. When you can, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. Trust me, these Edomites were not getting off the hook. I, I hope you've noticed that by now. But, oh my goodness, just show mercy when you can. Matthew 6.15 is probably my favorite of the cluster of verses I wrote. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The reason I like that verse so much is because it admits the person wronged you. It would, you wouldn't have to forgive their trespasses. Trespasses is another word for sin or error. You wouldn't need to forgive their trespasses if they hadn't trespassed. Agreed? They must have done something wrong, so I must have the right to decide if I'm going to forgive them or not. Okay. As long as you then want God to decide if he should forgive you or not. Again, if you're an Edomite, you're, God never forgave me of anything. You're still breathing, aren't you? They're going to tell me you've never done anything wrong? That God doesn't have anything to punish you for? That in his mercy, he's chosen to... But you know something? Now that I'm going to let it slide... But I'm not going to punish you right now. Because I'm going to speak to your heart. And I'm going to show you how wrong you were in doing that. And I want to see if you repent of that. I want to see if you change your mind about it. I want to see if you stop being Edomite. You might be on borrowed time right now. I don't know. I don't know what life you live. I just know that i got a pretty long list of things that God has had to show me mercy for. And I don't think I'm that much worse than any of you out there. So if I want God to show me mercy, and oh my goodness, he does, shouldn't I be out there showing mercy? The Edomites didn't feel that way. The Edomites thought it was their call who deserved mercy and who didn't. Maybe you're sitting there thinking of a specific person. You tell me you got to forgive that person? Yeah, deal's off. All right, fine, Edomite. Like, I don't know what else to call you. I could call you a lot of things, but I'll just call you an Edomite right now. If pride is stopping you from acknowledging God's hand on your life and his blessings on your life, you might be an Edomite. If the, the, the ability to be unmerciful, or actually the inability to be merciful. Yeah, no, I'm just not get, getting rid of that. Well, you might be an Edomite. But I have one more thing to say, so I'm actually doing pretty good on time. And as, a, as I constantly say in math class, if you're going to listen to anything, please listen to this. <laughs> if you're going to walk away with anything that I have said today, please listen to this. Verses 15 to 21. Say, for the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, 
and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau, and those of the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. And the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sephirod shall possess the cities of the Negev. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Now, we're not going to break that down. We don't have time to. And for the point I want to make, we really don't need to. Did you catch more of Edom's judgment in that? There was definitely more condemnation and judgment pronounced on Edom like there was in the first 14 verses. But did you catch what God also slid in there at the end? To contrast Edom's condemnation and judgment, he also talked about Jacob's future promises and blessings. It's the only place that Israel's really mentioned in the entire book. Israel has nothing to do with the book of Obadiah, except at the end to say that while God is judging Edom, he will be blessing Israel. Obadiah, John, I mean, isn't Edom the bad guys and Jacob the good guys? Not really. Do you know where Esau got his name from? Esau means hair. Because he came out of the womb like a hairball. He must have been part Italian. I don't know. But that was his nickname. Harry. And what did Jacob mean? Deceiver. From the womb. Because he grabbed his twin's ankle and wanted to be the first one to come out. From the womb. His parents said, oh, this one's going to be trouble. This one's going to be a deceiver. Just out of curiosity. If you had to latch on to one of them. Which one are you latching on to? The hairy one or the deceiver? I'm sorry, humanly speaking, I want nothing to do with the deceiver, and God did that on purpose. God doesn't want us to think that it has anything to do with us that determines if he, quote, likes us or not. Okay? The Edomites were, the reason, i got to word this correctly, I don't want to, it's not that Edom was bad and Israel was good. Israel did lots of bad things, but the difference was Israel was God's children. And by definition, because Edom was not God's children, Edom was God's enemy. And that's my third question. Are you God's enemy? Well, that escalated quickly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, maybe I have some pride issues, and uh, I guess I could show mercy a little more often, but God's enemy? Like, I thought that was Satan. <laughs> or at least Hitler. <laughs> I, I, I might not be God's child, but that doesn't make me his enemy, does it? Yeah. It 100% does. I'm sorry. If you are not God's child, you are God's enemy. There is no in-between. God makes that very clear in the book of Malachi. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, right before Matthew. And this one is written to Israel. And listen to how the book of Malachi opens up. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel, to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, 
But I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country, and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see that. Yeah, I only went to four. I only wanted to go to five here. God is still not happy with Edom, but it's not because Edom was proud or Edom was unmerciful. Yeah, those were things worthy of. But in the end, verse 2 says it all. How have you loved us? He says, I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I know a lot of you know this, but I have to say it. It's not because Jacob was so awesome and Esau was so bad. It's because Jacob was his children. Every parent in the room, and even if you're not a parent, just think about someone who's really close to you. Isn't it different when some stranger does something to you, and, oh, you're so mad, and now you're never going to talk to that person and forget them. And, and then when your child or whoever does it, A, it hurts more. I know. But B, it's completely different because you want to forgive them. You want them to want to be forgiven. You want to restore the relationship. I'm sorry, you might not like this, but God plays favorites. I'm sorry. Like any other parent, like if you don't like that phrase, fine. Maybe I said that for shock value. But doesn't it make sense that God is going to favor his children? God was not, Esau, Edom wasn't God's enemy because they were proud. Or because they were, they were God's enemy because they weren't God's children. Like that's, that's just the way it works. The book of Malachi actually bashes Israel for how bad they are. Why are you worshiping foreign gods? Why aren't you taking my sacrifices seriously? Like, man, Israel was a bad kid. But they were God's kid. So I'm sorry, you can't walk out of here saying, well, I might not be God's child, but it doesn't mean I'm his enemy. By definition, it does. That's not me talking, that's the Bible talking. And the only good news I have for you is the prophecy that was pronounced on Edom that was set in stone is not set in stone for any of you. Because you're still breathing. You're still alive. You can still decide to go from being God's enemy to being God's child. The Bible is very clear about that. I don't know how Gabe did it. It's the spirit. But he exactly quoted the verse be right before we sang the second song that I was going to use here. Romans 5, 8 says that God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, I think God will forgive me for twisting that a little bit, while we were still his enemy, while we were still Edomites, put whatever word you want in there, but that's when Christ died for us. I was an Edomite. I don't mind saying that if we can leave election, predestination. Humanly speaking, you better believe there was a time in my life where I did think it was about me and what made me happy and what could I accomplish in life. And the only difference is when God spoke to my heart, and only God can do it. So listen, if my words are gibberish to you, I get it. It just means God. I can't say anything that the Holy Spirit can't say better. But oh my goodness, when I was in that moment and God said, uh, kid, I'm over here. Oh my goodness. Oh Lord, yes, please. Can I be your child? And just a couple of verses later, uh, 9 and 10, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Who's we? We are the people who used to be Edomites. We used to be God's enemy. The next verse, this is the one that Gabe quoted, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are his children, I know that says reconciled, God forgives me, now that we are his children, we'll be saved by his life. I'm no better than any of you here. 
I can't even take credit for accepting what Christ did for me. God opened my eyes to him. I couldn't help but accept it. It was the, the obvious choice. But oh my goodness, if you're going to walk out of here and eat a mite, I'm sorry, I'm being a little sarcastic here, but walk out of here a proud one. Got it? Determine right now that it doesn't matter what that bold guy just talked about for the last 40 minutes. I don't need God in my life. I'm good. I'm sticking to that. I'm gone. Okay. I'll wait for the Holy Spirit to, to change your heart on that. I pray he does. I, I, I don't think I can do it. But the one thing I won't let you do is walk out of here and think there's a third category. I might not be his child, but it doesn't mean I'm in his enemy. You're walking out of here one or the other. And that's really all I'm asking you to determine. Uh, John 3.16, we all know John 3.16, right? Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. i got to emphasize that because, yeah, I know it sounds like Edom got it bad, but losing your possessions and your allies and your wise men and your strong men is nothing compared to an eternity in hell. I'm just sorry. Just like there's no, there's no difference between God's children and God's enemy, there is no heaven, hell, and something in between. You want to tell me there is? Tell me why you think there is. It's one or the other. And if you're admitting, oh, just because I'm not God's child doesn't mean I'm not going to heaven. Are you listening to yourself? Like, there's no logic there. You're pretty much saying, fine, I'll be an Edomite. I'll go to hell. Wow, even those words coming out of my mouth turns my stomach. But please notice, yeah, he doesn't want us to perish eternally. But people don't tend to keep reading. Verse 17 says that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. You were born condemned because you were born a sinner. You were born an Edomite. When I asked, who um, are you an Edomite? If I asked it, were you ever an Edomite? Every hand would win. We were born into sin. So unless you're perfect and that's your way into heaven, you need someone to forgive that sin. But these verses are saying, Jesus wants to do it. You just have to believe. But if you don't believe, you're condemned already. You, there was never a time that I rejected God. Well, if there was never a time you accepted him, then guess what? You rejected him. I don't know what to tell you. No, I don't want you to walk out that door and Edomite. But even more, I don't want you walking out that door lying to yourself and saying that there's some third option. You're either God's child, or you're God's enemy. You're either guaranteed heaven, or you're guaranteed hell. You're either an Israelite, you're either an Edomite. Please do not leave here without your decision, whatever that decision might be. Good? Good. Because most of you are probably thinking, all right, who is this guy, and what do you do with John? I don't usually preach this type of message, you know that. I'm usually much more preaching to the people of God already, not to those who don't know God. But I had to stay true to the text, didn't I? If there is a book in the Bible that is actually written to foreign people, foreign nations, so that they can know the condemnation that awaits them, don't I have to preach that? Of course, I have to preach that. But Edom doesn't even exist anymore, so it's not like these words are helping them anymore. Where is the book of Obadiah? Please don't say in the Old Testament. It's been in the Torah for the last however many millennia. It's been in my Bible for the last however many... Look, it might have been a message to Edom, but I don't know what they did with it. I don't know what we should be doing with it. Oh my goodness, if any of you walk out of here today and 
So what did you learn in church today? Oh, that Obadiah is not for the Christians. The other 65 books are. Oh my goodness. I would want to smack you in the head, but I'll let the Holy Spirit do it for me. But you are nuts if you think there's anything in here that is not written for our benefit. So as I close, I'm done. Um, so John, you said, you know, ask if I'm an Edomite, you know. I know I'm not. Well, when's the last time you thank God for that? When's the last time you read something like this and saw how angry pride gets in him and stopped and said, you know something, I do still have some pride in my life, though. I mean, not pride that makes me reject God, but pride that does make me think that maybe I need him here and here, but I don't need him here. How do you not? And someone else is going to be condemned for that, but I'm his child, so he patiently waits for me to realize it. Don't make him patiently wait. Repent of it. Look for things in your life that can make you less Edomite-ish. I'm allowed to make up words. I'm the one standing up here. But if you know you're not an Edomite, then how about live like it? How about look at things like Obadiah and like, yeah, wow, God really gets upset at pride. Lord, help me with my pride. Wow, God really gets upset when people aren't merciful. Lord, I know that's me sometimes. Please help me be more merciful. This book should convict us. It should also comfort us. Oh my goodness, I know I screw up every day and I know I don't deserve God's mercy, but I also know I get it. Obadiah makes that clear. Israel were not good kids, and yet God made sure in a book that condemns the foreign nations, he still gets in there. But my kids, they're going to they're going to blossom. They're going to be blessed. They're going to prosper. That's what our God wants for us. So please, if you don't want to be an Edomite, find an Israelite to help you. I, I'll gladly stay and wait and talk. Pastor gladly will, but the person sitting next to you probably gladly will. This room has a whole lot of God's children in it. And oh my goodness, we would love for you to join us, but we're not going to twist your arm. Mm. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Mm. But if you walked in here in Edomite, and you walk out of here, God's child, oh my goodness. And if you walked in here, God's child, and you walked out here, God's child, oh my goodness, Lord, thank you for that too. But let's not throw out books like Obadiah because they're 21 verses tucked in the Old Testament. It's a direct condemnation of the sin that's around us, as well as a direct comfort and conviction to his children that we're not Edomites. Let's not live like Edomites, and let's thank him for the patience and forgiveness that he has when we do that. And let's pray. Lord, I thank you. I did not know how long that was going to take. Of course I didn't care, but oh, I'm not up here to ramble. What if I could have said it in less words than would have? But, oh my goodness. It's exciting to think that you might save someone today, and yet it's so much better to think everyone already is. Lord, I would love if everyone in here is already your child, and we're just going to go out there and do our best to not act like Edomites. Thank you for your patience when we do. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who convicts us when we do. Lord, your children of everyone should get something from this because it's your word given to us. But you put this in your way. So if there's anyone here who needed to hear this, anyone who has let pride stop them from accepting you, has let mercy stop them from being who you want them to be, Lord, whatever. That's just how Obadiah explained it. The rest of your word explains it in many other beautiful ways. I just pray that your spirit speaks to their heart, that you bless this church. Lord, you'll save your chosen ones wherever you want. We are so encouraged when you do it here. So we would love to be a part of that. We would love to come alongside and disciple and do everything that we know you want us to do until your son comes back. 
But I do thank you, Lord, just like Haggai, I thank you that now Obadiah is a book that I know more about, that I can now use more in my understanding of you and in my, my defense of the gospel. And Lord, I just look forward to you using this in the way only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Oh, oh, you are here. Okay. <laughs> All right. We invite you to stand as praise our God for the truths that we just heard in doxology. Praise God from whom.